thank you so much, um, Ellie and Ben, for having me. And good evening, everybody. Um, it is really, really lovely uh, to be with you uh, tonight. Um, as Ellie said, my name is Esther. Um, I live just down the road uh, in Durham. I moved there as a student about 10 or so years ago and basically fell in love with the Northeast and haven't massively left. So um, if you're a student here in Newcastle, prepare to dig in. Um, you have moved to probably the best or definitely the best region um, in the UK. I am sure of it. Um, great. Happy days. Um, as, uh, as Ellie um, said, uh, I work for a movement called IJM. International Justice Mission. Um, just give me a little show of hands if you've heard of IJM before tonight. Brilliant. Lots of you. Okay. Uh, so IJM, um, in a nutshell, is the world's largest anti-slavery organisation. So we work all around the world, on the ground, in the trenches, finding and rescuing children um, and families from cases of modern day slavery. And um, over the last few weeks, we just celebrated a massive milestone, uh, which is we've just uh, rescued uh, 50,000 people, um, which has been pretty <laughs> remarkable. Praise Jesus. And um, it's a real privilege uh, to be with you here tonight for um, what I love that you've termed an alternative Christmas. Um, I don't think I've ever been described as alternative in my life, um, but I'll, uh, I'll claim that tonight. Um, my prayer is that over the next 25 minutes, 30 minutes or so, is that we would be challenged a little bit. That we would be challenged to shake off some of the consumerism that often seems to dominate this season, that we'll be shaken out of that. And in this particular week where, uh, if you're anything like me and, and my community, my conversation has been focused around some of the challenges and the divisions that our country is currently facing. My hope is that tonight we would get a little glimpse of the bigness of the Christmas story that bridges divides, that, that crosses political lines. And that tonight we would tune into the voice of Jesus, our Emmanuel, which means God with us. Us collectively. God with us as a nation. God with us as a generation. God with us as a revelation of great news and good, good news, great joy for all people, right? And that we would know deep down that we are all invited to the party this Christmas. That sounds like good news, right? Happy days. Now in a moment, I'm gonna hit you with some statistics, some numbers. And if you're anything like me, um, statistics are sometimes hard to get our heads around. You know, we get bombarded by stats about poverty and suffering every single day, don't we? You only have to open the newspaper, you know, watch the news. But it is important that you know that by the time I finish speaking, around 50 more children will be sold into slavery. Because the reality is that two children are sold of every minute, every hour of every day. And they're sold into brothels and bars and sweatshops. But we know that children don't belong in brothels and bars and sweatshops, right? They belong in families and playgrounds and schools 
two children every minute. But God knows their name. Let me share you one of their names. Uh, This is a little girl also called Esther. Great name. She lives in Ghana, where she grew up in, in West Africa. And when she had just passed her fourth birthday, she was sold into slavery. She was put on a fishing boat and sent out into the middle of Lake Volta, which is the world's largest man-made lake. And she was forced to work as a four-year-old fishing. 12 hours a day, seven days a week, no school, no proper food, and barely being able to swim, she was forced to dive deep down into the lake and untangle the nets when they'd get caught. Imagine that, four years old. You see, the slave owners really like young children because they've got tiny fingers and they can untangle complicated knots. She was 14 when IJM discovered her. And we were able to rescue her and bring her up and out into freedom. And now the hands that were once used to untangle fishing nets hold a pen and are used to write stories because writing stories is what Esther absolutely loves to do. She's catching up with school for the first time. And she is learning what it is to live with a hope and a future. And we know that that is exactly what God wants to bring. And I want to encourage you this evening that there is good news when it comes to injustice. And the good news is this. That God has always been looking to set the captive free. He's just still looking for those who will stand and say, let my people I wonder if we could pause for a moment. And I'm considering we are very close to Christmas. I wonder if we could just take a quick moment to reflect on a very important question that I always ask myself around this time of year. And I wonder if you could uh, have a little think about what is your favourite Christmas film? Okay. In fact, I'm going to give you 30 seconds uh, to chat to the people around you. Now, if you're an introvert and that fills you with horror, um, if you kind of close your eyes and look like this and pretend you're praying and you'll be fine, people will leave you alone. All right. 30 seconds. What is your favourite Christmas film? Off you go. Okay, okay, okay. We don't need to get too deep in. What are our favourite films, St. Thomas's? Throw me out some favourite Christmas films. What gets you in the Christmas mood? Die die hard, brilliant, conventional, great. Alternative Christmas, fair. And what else? Home home Alone, right, did any, well done. Did anybody else get Home Alone? Yeah, right, that is my top Christmas film. Okay, I absolutely love it. We actually watched Love Actually last night, which is pretty much up there for me. But Home Alone, I absolutely love it. And there's a particular scene in Home Alone um, that gets me every time. And um, if you don't know the story, basically, um, no spoilers here, but family go away on a holiday over Christmas, they leave the son at home. Nightmare. And um, there's this amazing scene where the mum of the family, basically it dawns on her what is happening. And she goes to the airport um, because she needs to try and make it back to get her son. And um, 
she's confronted with the guy at the airport who is selling the tickets. And she's basically saying to him, I need to make it back for Christmas. You don't understand. I have to get on this plane. And he's saying, I'm sorry, there is nothing I can do. And she turns to him, she goes, what do you mean there's nothing you can do? Slams her hands on the counters. She says, what, there's me? what do you mean there's nothing you can do? This is the season of perpetual hope. And he turns to her and says, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. You know, in this scene, hope is just an abstract concept. It is completely disconnected from the reality of what that mother is actually going through, separated from her child. And at Christmas, we celebrate that hope is not just an abstract concept, but that hope is real. Jesus is hope made real to the world and the whole world. And this evening, I would love to just focus on one of the passions that we see throughout the Bible and particularly at Christmas. And that is God's passion for the world. We know that God so loved the world, right? John 3.16. And by the world, we mean every single individual across every border, boundary, country, culture, nation, race, and religion. Every single individual billion life. That's what God loves. And in many ways, I think it's fair to say that we're engaging with that pretty well at the moment. You know, we are living in a truly global era, correct? You know, from the food that we eat to the clothes that we wear, we're living in a time where we are as connected to the world as we have ever been. I uh, recently found myself sitting on a sofa made in Sweden. I was peeling a satsuma from Spain. I was drinking coffee beans from Kenya. I was writing a card to my friends in France. I was play playing music uh, recorded in America um, in a phone from parts constructed in China, from the pieces produced in Africa, all getting ready to celebrate the birth of a child born in the Middle East. Mad, right? Martin Luther King Jr. once said, before you finish breakfast, you've relied on half of the world. I can't help to think the guy had a point. Show of hands quickly. Put your hands up if you've been on a long-haul flight recently. Yeah, a few people. Um, if you own a smartphone. Okay, brilliant. Uh, if you're on Facebook, out of interest. Yeah, apparently, over half of the world actively use Facebook. How nuts is that? And surely we are as close to the world as we have ever been. Or are we? As a nation, last year we accepted less than 300 unaccompanied child refugees into the UK. If anything, politically we seem to be distancing ourselves from our closest neighbours. And you know, I am the first to say I am often distant in my life. You know, whether it is uh, the, the clothes that I buy or, or when I fill up my car with petrol, I don't think about where that's from or when I upgrade, uh, upgrade my phone again. You know, I am first in line to say that I often go about my life with little knowledge of the connection that I'm having with those around the world. And I wonder if there's actually a little bit of a challenge here. You know, do we love the benefits of the world? Cheap technology, fashion, 
food, good holidays. But when it comes to loving the world, have we shrunk the world a little bit to a smaller version of me and mine and my own? And when it comes to Jesus, I wonder if sometimes we shrink our saviour too. You know, the Christmas story shouts of God's love for the world. If you don't know it, you can read about it in Luke chapters 1 and 2. That would be a wonderful thing to read over the next week or so. And what you get is this multicoloured, multifaceted blend of people involved. It's a story that obliterates social boundaries. It closes generational gaps. It crosses class divides. You know, the story in Luke 1 begins with a story of, of infertility of an older couple who couldn't have children, but, but who, who dug into serving God in the midst of pain. It then pivots to a teenage couple and this miraculous story of, of teenage pregnancy, of, of a young girl who's in love, who's engaged to be married, caught up in this divine plan to save the world. You know, it is a story of strangers seeking sanctuary in a foreign land. It is a story of messy hospitality made holy. It is a story of, of rural shepherds and, and royal kings. It is a story of young and old, local and those from different nations. You know, those who are spoken with different accents, you know, different languages even. It's a story of like the Geordies meet the Mackhams. It's the story of coming together side by side to celebrate the Son of God. And if that's not enough, the fabric of the cosmos displays the glory of God. People around the world would have seen it. You know, in just the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, we get the tiny glimpse into the bigness of the Gospel. Woven into the birth of this little baby, it's as if God is saying, look who I love, everyone, because you are all invited wherever you're from whoever you are this is for you you are all invited to the party but if we aren't careful we read this big story story and we shrink it I make it about me and I make it about only me and I wonder sometimes if we make the gospel too small you know, Jesus is my personal saviour. He is my best friend. He is my prince of peace. He brings order to my chaos. And I am completely correct. You know, if I was the only person, he would still do that for me. We serve a personal, intimate God. But when we only focus on that, we miss out on a crucial aspect of Jesus. You know, that he, um, that he came and turned an unjust society on its head. He turned over tables when the poor were being marginalised. He brought together different ethnic groups who should have never naturally been friends. Now, he addressed food poverty thousands at a time, giant picnics. You know, he spoke truth to politicians. He challenged the status quo of governments. He brought around economic reform with the tax collectors. And in Matthew 28, he sends out his disciples and he says, go to all nations to the ends of the earth 
You know, from day one, God's plan and invitation was for all people everywhere. Psalm 24 sums it up brilliantly. And if there's one verse that you remember from this evening, this would be a great one to remember. The psalmist writes, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. But he founded it on the seas and established it in the waters. In other words, it all belongs to him. Everything, everyone, everywhere. You know, the Jesus that was born into a stable didn't stay in a stable. The son who is both the saviour of my world is the saviour of the whole world. He is the same God who is both personal and powerful. You know, intimate and yet utterly infinite. The same Jesus who Isaiah prophesies, the whole earth is filled with his glory. The same one whom everyone, everything, everywhere belongs to him. The God of a billion galaxies is on your side. Let's not make the gospel too small. I'd love to share with you just briefly how we're seeing this big gospel, how we're seeing the God that loves the world play out around the world. And if I would, I'd love to share with you some of the ways that we at IJM are seeing the spirit of God work as we're trying to engage in this big gospel. And I'd love to just take you back on a little bit of a journey for a few minutes, back to the early 2000s. And um, I'd love to take you to the country of Cambodia and specifically the capital city, which is called Phnom Penh. And back in the early 2000s, when IJM first started working there, it was pretty much known as the global epicentre for sex trafficking and particularly that of really young children. You know, foreign predators used to flock there including here from the UK. And my colleagues would describe that you could go to, to streets just outside the city centre and you'd find children there on trestle tables and chained to posts. Around the world, this was one of the darkest places. And it was estimated by the UN uh, and the police there that around 15 to 30% of those caught up in the sex industry were under 15, were children. 15 to 30% of thousands and thousands of people. Unsurprisingly, the police at the time there were completely overwhelmed. And, and partly because the problem was so big, you know, the corruption ran so deep partly because the system was so broken, they didn't know how to fix it. And partly because lots of the children involved were, were from the wrong ethnic group. And there was like a view that, that it didn't matter, that, that people didn't care. And so the traffickers got away with it. The problem was out of control. And this beautiful young woman is called Mien. And she was caught up in this when she was 14. So my colleagues at IJM started doing undercover investigation work. They started building up evidence, finding out where these children were being held. 
we started talking to the police, you know, asking them, you know, who out of you is appalled by this? You know, identifying who are the people that really, really want to do a good job? Who are the people of peace? And then throwing the weight of resources behind them. And we asked them, how can we help you? How can we serve you? How can we support you in love? And they talked about problems with the court system. They talked about problems with corruption. They talked about not knowing how to deal with traumatised children. And so we began to serve them. We began training police. We began working with magistrates. We began to help rescue more and more children. And after the first couple of years, we, we got our first ever conviction of a trafficker. And we began seeing the wheels of justice slowly begin to turn. And here is what you need to know. Is that after seven years of work there, of rescuing children, of loving them back to life, of, of helping fix a broken system, I said at the start that, that 15 to 30% were children. Today, that number is less than 0.1% children. You know, the police unit that we worked with are winning awards around the world for their work to transform a nation. Now, in fact, our work's been so successful, we actually, as IGM, no longer work there because, you know, we've done ourselves out of job. You know, the police do the work now. The social services help to look after the children. And that's the aim, really, to help repair a broken system to love the world so much that we see the statistics flip on their head. And you see, what this shows us is that when the people of God get hold of this call to love the world, it is possible to see miraculous transformation in whole system-shifting, nation-changing scales. If we can do it in Cambodia, we can do it in Romania. And we can do it in the Philippines. I think we can do it in the UK too. Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Let's not make the gospel too small this Christmas. So what about us? What is our response? You know, if that's how God is working on a big scale around the world... How do we turn all this from like an out there concept to an in here concept into reality? You know, not all of us are able to just get on a plane and go and rescue children around the world. There were, some of you might be called to that. If that's you, like, let me know. But can I suggest that there are three really practical ways that you could perhaps begin to lift your gaze this season and begin to engage with this big gospel you know how you can love those around the world and perhaps love those in slavery too and um, firstly I'd love to suggest that there's something we can do about our daily choices that we make and in fact um, I wonder if you could do something really strange for me for a moment okay I wonder if you could turn to the people around you and just if you're wearing a jumper you've got a jacket on what I want you to do is find the label that says made in okay and, and see just where your jacket or your jumper um, is made, okay? Have a little look for me. Okay, have a, few of you found, have a few of you found those labels? Yeah? Okay, 
where, where are they from? Give me a little survey. Where are they from? Say it again. Bangladesh. Bangladesh. Portugal. Indonesia. China. UK. Well done. Ben Doolan. Vicar. <laughs> Ethical Vicar. Very good. Um, I'm going to add Cambodia in. Peru. Where else? Any other thoughts? Okay, what do we notice about the majority of these? What do we notice? From Southeast Asia, yeah? Anything else we notice? Generally, they're from poorer countries, aren't they, in the world? Yeah? And a, a few months ago, we uh, rescued 79 young people from a jewellery factory uh, in India. Um, some of them had been enslaved for over a decade. They were appalling working conditions. Um, they are now free, but we as Western consumers were driving the demand for the products they were making. And um, I'd love to suggest uh, that this Christmas we have a choice that we can make. You know, this Christmas most of us are going to give and receive gifts. You know, beautiful items, you know, new clothing, maybe funny stockings uh, fillers. We'll, we'll get a new Christmas jumper maybe. Um, and most of those items are going to be items that are made around the world, right? And we give these gifts as an act of love, rightly so. Wouldn't it be amazing if in that act of love, we could also take account of the bigness of the gospel too. Author uh, Anna Lape says this, she says, every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. And she's right, isn't she? Are we seeing it with the kind of plastic free movement at the moment? That, that if consumers and us as a general public get passionate about the products that we're using and buying, we can change the conversation. And I would love to challenge you to start a conversation when you're shopping, yeah? To maybe think about how you can use your global connection for good when you're out and when you're buying. Yeah, maybe you can start small. Maybe there is one present, one gift you can give this Christmas that you can research where it's from. Yeah? Maybe there's one gift you can source from an ethical retailer with the people who made it in mind and then let the person know that you're giving it to. Yeah? If you're not sure where to start, there is loads of information about this on IJM's website. If you just Google IJM, there's a whole section on that website about how you can start to shop in a way that loves the world around us. So number one, one way of loving the world is, consider, is to consider the vote that we have every time we spend money. We can love the world in those day-to-day -day choices we make. Number two, second way that you can lift your gaze this Christmas is to send rescue to those who need it the most. To send rescue to those who are in slavery. And some of you, from hearing some of these stories, uh, some of you are going to want to get involved in this work. And one key way that you can do that is to give and to sign up to give. Um, on the end of your pews, um, I've put um, some of these leaflets. Um, if you're sat at the end, you perhaps give them a little wave. Um, and if you want to sign up to do that this Christmas, um, you can do that using the back of this form. And um, there's two parts of it. Um, and honestly, what we pray for um, as iGEM as a movement is consistency. 
We never really pray for an amount of a gift. Um, we always pray for consistency, whether it's £5 a month or £50 a month. Um, consistency means we can say to that girl on the fishing boat, we're coming back because we pl can plan. We have the resources to plan. And um, this Christmas, we're going to spend somewhere in the region of £17 billion. Pounds. Now, what would it look like if from this church family, a small portion of that went to loving our brothers and sisters around the world who are in need? What would that look like? If that is you, in a moment, we're going to watch a quick film and, and perhaps you could take a time. Um, if you need a pen, just pop your hand up and someone lovely will deliver you one. Um, and, and yeah, perhaps that is something that you can feel prompted to do to lift your gaze this season. And the third thing we can do that changes us, and I believe changes the world the most, is that we can join in prayer with those around the world. And as a movement, um, as IJM, we are completely fueled and, and founded on prayer. Um, I'm contracted to pray an hour a day. Um, I joke with my friends that I'm a professional prayer. Um, but it is the heart of transformation and the heart of loving the world. It's the currency that God gives us. You know, prayer is the most powerful tool that we have for loving the world and lifting our gaze. Because in prayer, we're reminded of who God is and who we are in light of who he is. You know, in prayer, we can cross borders and boundaries and cultures and countries, and we're able to affect change in land that our two feet may never actually visit. I'd love to invite you to pray. It's the thing we covet the most, to join with a family on the world, uh, around the world who pray for rescues and raids and freedom and transformation. And if that is you, you can do that using this same form just in the middle. You can fill your details in and you'll get an email once a fortnight just letting you know when there are rescue operations going on around the world so you can join and you can pray. In a moment, we're going to pause to watch a quick video to give us time to breathe a little bit um, and reflect. And um, if you feel prompted to, to join in with that mission this evening um, around slavery, to, to lift um, your gaze this Christmas, that would be a great time to fill in this form um, and you can give it to me um, at the end. I started off by, uh, by telling you um, about that little girl uh, called Esther. And um, I'd love to show you just a little visual insight into how her rescue um, unfolded. Um, so this is Esther's story, and then we'll wind up and pray in a second. You know, Christmas sometimes has a way of shrinking us. We get caught up worrying about Amazon delivery deadlines, about Christmas party outfits, about how much food we can eat. But this Christmas, I would love to invite you to lift your gaze. And to be part of a story of loving the world, particularly those in slavery. And whether that is through your choices or through your giving or through your prayer, let's not settle for a small gospel. Let's ask the Holy Spirit what our individual role might be in loving the world. 
Because the Christmas story was not just about Jesus coming to make individual bad people good. He was way more radical than that. It was about the creator of the universe coming in love for all people everywhere. And there is a whole world of hope at the heart of Christmas. After all, it all belongs to him. Everyone, everywhere, everything. And it's the season of perpetual hope, right? 